get your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts 2 for a mere second, and then we will cover pretty much Genesis, Genesis to Revelation, as I am, we are prone to do here. Um, we're, we're going to talk about baptism. I, 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 we haven't done this in a while. I don't, I don't love, just because of nature and experience, I guess, maybe pomp and circumstance, you know what I mean? Like, I don't. Like uh, at graduation, like I, when I was graduating from college, I was like, I'm not doing this. And I got a phone call from my dad. And he said, son, I need you to do this. It's important to your mom. I want you to, and mom, okay. So I tucked a book up underneath my robe and read a book with 7,000 other people at Auburn got graduated, you know? And then for my master's, I didn't. You know, I, was, I just don't like, the, I just don't love the pomp and circumstance. Birthdays are the worst pomp and circumstance, right? Because it's, like it's pomp and circumstance without you know, like, actually, it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate participation trophy, you know what I mean? Like, let's just celebrate that I made another lap. Well, billions of other people did too, you know? And, uh, but there are some things that ought be marked by celebration. There are things that should be marked. And, and baptism, I believe, is one of them. And uh, so I, I want to talk about this morning why we do baptism, what it means, and, and, and we just haven't done this in, in a while, so... Um, Acts 2, I'm going to read to you just a few verses. Uh, Jesus has died on the cross. He's been crucified. He uh, was resurrected from the dead. Uh, He hung out for a while, talking to people, and then he ascended into heaven. And then Peter, this uneducated fisherman, uh, 50 days later, uh, gives this sermon after Jesus' uh, resurrection. 50 days later, at Pentecost, he gives this sermon that that just blows people's minds and... uh, the, the spirit descends and, and people are cut to the core uh, and, it, and it says this in uh, Acts 2 verse uh, 36. Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, If you grew up in church, maybe you don't know this. I I did, I didn't realize it until later in life, that there's several things that we do that are kind of, from the outside looking in, weird. Right? One of the things that we do that's a little bit weird is sing songs. You've noticed that? Like, where else in your life do you show up with a bunch of people that have the same thing in common and sing songs, right? It'd be weird if you did that, right? Uh, I, we just, it's a, we do, we sing songs because it's this celebration and declaration. It's a beautiful thing that we do. We do this communion, right? Each week we, we break, have this bread that's been broken and this, this, this wine or the juice that the blood been spilled and we, use, we, we reenact this This beautiful story of how God nourishes us in Christ spiritually, right? And all, and all the other things that go into that. And another is baptism, right? Like that's a, just a, if you think about it, like it's a it's an odd thing to do, you know, to be you know pushed under water and in front of a bunch of people, you know, it's just you don't do that anywhere else, you know, and. Uh, but we do it for such a beautiful, beautiful reason. And I want to look at, um, I just want to remind us, right? So much of what we do is just reminding each other uh, of the beauty behind 
the beauty of Christ. And so um, water is, I love water. Um, like I just love being on the water. It just, I've had a lot of, recently I, I, I had a lot of chance, Gibson and I went up and, and spent some time on the water and then Friday at, at a river and, and kayaked a river and then Friday and actually yesterday we went back to this place in Montgomery. Um, I just love being on the water. It's a whitewater park and it's just brutal. I just like, I'm, I'm bruised and abused. I lost my wedding ring. Uh, uh, but I had such a good time, right? Like, that's such a good time. Um, I love it. There's something about it that just, I think because of my history in, in, in life, I just, it, there's a peace to it, but also a fear. And, and these, these, I love whitewater because of the, the chaos of it and all. And, and the Bible has a similar view of, of water. The imagery in the Bible, there's part of it that's used as nourishing, right? Jesus says, I am, I am, I am the, the, the water of life, right? Like, we need water. The streams in the desert images uh, are there. But even more often than that, Water is chaos. Water is fear. I think we forget about this now because of all the bridges, right? I mean, that's a, bridges are a relatively new thing, right? Used to, if there was a river there, you're like, I think there's people over there. Like, you didn't go over there because there's a huge river between the two of you, right? Like, because it's terrifying and, and, and you had to swim it or get a boat to get it. Like, it was a, it was a big thing to, uh, it was a big barrier. And, and in scripture, that's how it's used as this barrier, this this point of, of chaos and, and terror. As a matter of fact, it starts, like the earliest, earliest record of water is actually in Genesis 1. Like it starts out talking about water. Genesis 1, 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The image that it goes on to paint is that there is this chaos this wasteland. It's just water, and it's not good for life. It can't sustain any life, and it's not good. So what God does is he begins to speak into the chaos, and he separates the waters so that land can come, and, and, and he shines a light on it, and he does all these things, and he creates on it so life is sustainable, and he orders things in such a way that humans can flourish, that humans can be awesome, right? He creates it so that humans, actually the goal is that they'll rule over not just the land, but the sky and the sea as well one day. And so he creates all of this so that human life, that life itself can flourish. And he, and he separates the waters into these places and, and, and holds them back. And it's this beautiful, beautiful act. And, and the spirit of God is is. Pictured like a, like, a, like a bird hovering, right? Fluttering is maybe is a good word there. Fluttering over the waters, speaking life into the chaos. Order into the chaos. That's the story, right? Now, Genesis 3, just a couple pages later, you see that humans bring chaos back into the world, right? They say, you know what? I hear what you've said. I hear what the promises. I know you made me, but I know better how to run my own life, I think. They try to lay hold of the promises themselves. And so chaos in, in, in chapter four, like murder happens, fratricide happens, and just chaos just descends. So you get to the point that it gets so bad that God says he's going to do something about it, and he sends a flood. A flood to wipe away, but he, but he saves this remnant, uh, this remnant. And it says this in Genesis seven, uh, this decreation act of the flood. In the 600th year of this man named Noah, the second month and the seventh day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heaven were opened, just ripped open, and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Chaos returns to the face of the 
earth and it is no longer suitable for human life. But God preserves Moses. He pre- sorry, God preserves Noah in the ark and his family. And he preserves this remnant uh, and, uh, so that, that life can continue. You go on a little bit further in the story, uh, and uh, God creates a people through the descendants of this man named Abraham, and he's going to work his way out, uh, work, work out his, his, uh, his plan to restore everything uh, through the descendants of this man named Abraham, and, uh, but they end up, the descendants uh, of Abraham end up in Egypt as slaves. God raises up this man named Moses, and Moses is going to lead them out of slavery in Egypt, and after all, God sends these plagues, they're, they're leaving Egypt, the Israelites are leaving uh, uh, the, the control of Pharaoh, but... Uh, God sends them a weird way, and he pushes them up against the uh, sea, and, and then the Egyptians change their mind, and they come after them, and there's this moment where God splits the waters, and they walk through water, the chaos of the water, the barriers of the water, out of slavery and into freedom, right? It says this in uh, Exodus 14. The Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night. He made the sea dry land, the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground. The waters being a wall on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued, went in after them, into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, sorry, and in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of a fire and cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. The Egyptians fled into it and the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. So God saves and rescues his people by bringing them through the chaos and the barriers of water out into freedom, out of Egypt. But then he returns the chaos over the evil. Yeah? Yeah? Then this story is repeated some years later. They don't go straight to the land that God promised that they would inhabit. They actually wander around for a little while because they, you know, they're like us and made terrible decisions. Uh, so they wander around for a little while, and it happens again. They get to the border of the promised land, and, and there's actually this river that separates them from the promised land. Uh, and this time, Moses has, has died, and his, the guy that's following him, this guy named Joshua, uh, is there. And, and this is what happens in Joshua chapter 3. Um, Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out uh, from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan. He and all the people of Israel, and they lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set up from your place and follow it. Yet, there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Don't come near it in order that you may know the way, for your, the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. And then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And then the ark, uh, a couple of verses later, as soon as the, those bearing the ark came to the Jordan, the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. The Jordan overflows its banks throughout the time of the harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose in a heavy heap far away at Adam, the city that is beside uh, Zarethan. And those flowing down from the Sea of Araba, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho, 
priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord stood firm of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until the nation finished passing over the Jordan. The priests step foot in the water, the water splits the Jordan, and they pass over on dry ground into the land that God promised them. Humans, of course, quickly bring chaos back, right? They get into, into the promised land and they just don't act right. And you get Joshua, you get judges, and, and just, we just studied Ruth. You see the chaos of humans bringing lack of justice and all manner of disobedience back, and so the chaos returns to the land. So even in the promised land, the prophets, of course, uh, as you go on in Scripture, the prophets, of course, pick up on this theme and they use these images. The Psalms, the, the Psalms do too. The images of God. Uh, um, saving and rescuing through water, right? So when you get to the Gospels, the stories of Jesus' life, I mean, if you're gonna try to communicate to people, to uh, Israelites and to to the world, if you're gonna try to communicate uh, who Jesus is and what he's done and the meaning of his death and resurrection, if you're gonna communicate all of those things, you're gonna draw from those images, right? And they already exist in the mind of so many people. They've already been written down. And so you're gonna draw from those images uh, to reveal God's culminating plan to save the people for himself and Jesus, and that's what you see. So you get to Mark, right? Uh, Mark, at the beginning uh, uh, of his gospel, his telling of the life of Jesus, says this. Um, this guy named John the Baptist, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I've baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John shows up in the desert. They haven't heard from God in like 400 years. Uh, and he begins to announce this stuff. He dresses like, acts like, and talks like a prophet. So he's making these prophetic statements, uh, telling them what God has said and what they should do. People are coming out to him and he's calling them to repent. Hey, stop trusting your own things. Stop doing your own way. You need to renew the promises, uh, renew your commitment to the God of Israel. And so here's how we're going to do that. Just like Moses in the wilderness passing through the Red Sea, just like Joshua going into Uh, the promised land, uh, you're going to pass through water to do this, right? So he's drawing on those images, but he says, listen, I'm not the one, right? There's one that's coming after me. So he leads people through the Jordan, uh, into the Jordan and out of the Jordan, just like uh, Joshua before him. He's drawing on these images. And then this happens in the next verse. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Oh man, so, okay, listen, here's, okay, all right. So what's happening? The, the, Mark, 
is drawing together some threads, right? Like he's pulling, like there's so much in those few verses, right? Like the, the images that he's pulling from, Jesus of Nazareth of Galilee, we don't, I don't have time to get into that, baptized by John in the Jordan, right? So this is the picture, like when you hear of the Jordan, baptized in the Jordan, passing through Jordan, like Joshua images jump into your head. You pass through the Jordan into the promised land, the land that God's promised that you would have, right? There's something on the other side of the Jordan. So he has that image there, right? And then he comes up out of the water. That, by the way, that, that's the same language that's used of what happened in Exodus, them coming up out of the water. He comes up out of the water, immediately saw heaven, uh, heaven open, and the spirit, heaven open, by the way, that's exactly, the, that's the phrase used in, in uh, Exodus, or sorry, in Genesis about Noah, the, the sky being split open, the heavens being split open, and water being poured out. Heaven's ripped open again at this moment. So he's drawing images of Noah passing through the flood. Immediately saw heaven's open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. That's Genesis 1-1 language, right? He saw God's spirit that hovered over the chaos, bringing order and life. He's drawing that image as well. A voice from from heaven said, you are my beloved son. That's Psalm 2 language about David being coronated as king. And you, I am well pleased. That's Isaiah language. I mean, like, that is, like, he, what a, like, how long did it take him to write that sentence? That's amazing. He's pointing together all of these images into this moment that this is not just a baptism, that this is a, a special moment. Sky is ripped open and all of this imagery flows in, and all of this meaning flows into this moment. Jesus' baptism is this revelation and this anointing of him as king. So, Baptism is a symbol. Um, when we baptize uh, believers in Jesus, it is this symbol, this washing, uh, uh, a symbol of an eternal, uh, eternal reality that already exists. Uh, um, it is participating in this ancient biblical pattern, Right? We get to participate in a pattern that's existed for a very, very long time of going through the waters of death and following Jesus out the other side into the new creation. That's what this is. It is a picture of being plunged into death with Jesus and being brought out. It's a symbol, but it's, it's more than a symbol, but more than just a symbol. I mean, symbols mean something, right? I think we think just, well, it's just a symbol. Symbols mean something, right? Like, I, I lost my wedding ring. Uh, you know, it's not like, yeah, 21 years, yeah, that's a good run. Ring's gone, so it's over. No, 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 it's a symbol, but also it's more than a symbol. Like, I, I'm gonna go get another one, right? I buy them in packs of three because I lose them, you know? But it's more than just a symbol. It, it means something. It's revealing a greater truth. It's not just a symbol. It's a symbol that points to something even bigger, so it's a symbol, but it's more than a symbol. It's, it's um, at, at its very most basic level, it's, it's obedience, right? It, the Great Commission, uh, Jesus says at the end, before he sends into heaven, he says, here's what I need you guys to do. He says, I'm gonna go into heaven. And they're like, you're gonna do what? He's like, yeah, I'm gonna go into heaven. Uh, I'm gonna come back though, don't worry about it. I gotta go, see, I gotta go do some stuff, but uh, you guys be here. And, uh, uh, and he floats off into the air, it's crazy. Uh, but before he does that, he says this. He says, hey, uh, I want you to go. And everywhere that you go, from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, everywhere that you go, 
I want you to make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, right? He said, I want you to baptize and make disciples. So that's what we, it's, it's what the church does. We make disciples and we baptize people into that fellowship. It's what we do. And so uh, we were sent to do this. At the very, at the very basic level, being, being baptized is just obedience. Uh, I, I, I'm not, not going to talk about today about modes of baptism and, and different philosophies. We reject kind of uh, baptism as uh, salvific because it adds to the work of Christ, Right? It's like, it's just weird to be like, Jesus died on the cross and all this, da, 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 da. also be baptized or you're not saved. Like, no, nah, we, 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 we don't understand scripture to say that at all. But the different modes of baptism, I'm not mad about them, right? Like, I'm not upset about them. Uh, that's not what this is about. Uh, what I would say this, though, is that uh, baptism is of primary importance. Mode of baptism, secondary. Makes sense? Matter of fact, some of the earliest documents we have, not scripture, not scripture, but of how the early church functioned, right? In, in it, it says, uh, hey, um, if you can, be baptized outside in, a, in, a, in running water, right? They like the imagery of that, right? Uh, of, of, the, of, the, of the moving water washing sins away. Uh, so uh, they loved that and said you would face a certain way and all this stuff. And so they had that. if you can't do that, uh, do it outside in a, in a pool. If you can't do that, do it inside in a pool. If you can't do that, sprinkle. Point is this, get baptized. How you do it, eh. Less important. That you do it, important. You know? And so we do this out of obedience just because Jesus has told us to. It's what we do. But it's also not just obedience to Jesus, not just obedience to Christ, it's declaring Christ as Lord. Baptism is this declaration that this is who I am. It is a uniting yourself to him. It's not my job. It's not my kids. It's not my relationship that is the most important thing about me. It's not who I am. Who I am is I'm one who has been buried with Christ and risen again and will rise again one day into eternity, right? It's this identification, this declaring that he is Lord. He tells me who I am. He tells me what to do. He clarifies the way for me in the midst of chaos, so much of what I think that we do, because God created us for these awesome things and to rule over the air and the sky, or sorry, the sky and the, and the land and the sea, he made us for those. I think so much of our, of our instincts, so many of our instincts are to try to manage the chaos ourselves. I don't know if you feel that way. I'm just kidding, you do. That you're trying to manage the chaos, right? So much of our life is trying to hang on to the things that are just slipping, the chaos is taking away, Right? So much of our life is just trying to manage the insanity. And how do we navigate our way through that? And there's so many, 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 many things and people and places that are trying to tell you how to manage the chaos. And baptism is this declaration that it's Jesus that tells me how to manage the chaos. I may not be able to control this, but I can control my response to it because he has made me new. Right? It is this declaration that he is Lord. It's also uh, a, a symbol of this reality of us being united to Christ by faith. We not unite ourselves to something by faith. We, we constantly are tying ourselves to a thing that tells us what to do, what to believe, and how to be. And baptism is the symbolism of that we have been united with Christ in his death. His death counts as ours, and in his resurrection. His resurrection counts as ours as well. His life now counts as, as ours, and the life that he has flows into us. Paul says this, writing about this later after Jesus is risen. Uh, Paul, writing to these Romans, explains it this way, talks about it this way. Romans 6 says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that 
just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. For if we've been united with him in death like his, we'll certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus himself. What baptism represents so much more than just a symbol. The reality it represents is that there was one, one who was plunged into the chaos, to the de, decreation, plunged into the decreation, pulled apart for us, and that counts as ours now, and we know that we will never have to pass through that because there's one who's passed through those waters for us. So when we are baptized into Christ, we are baptized into that. It's a revelation, it's a, it's a declaration of that reality of us being united to him by faith in not only his death but also the resurrection that his resurrection now has by being united to him has so much power that it gives us life to not just handle the chaos but to have confidence in the chaos that the chaos cannot touch it the chaos of life the chaos of death the chaos of loss though it hurts and wounds us it will never ever drown us that we will pass through because he has passed through. His feet touched the waters and they separated and now we will pass through on dry ground knowing that what he suffered, we will never have to suffer. It was this beautiful, beautiful image of our union to Christ. Like the Israelites passing through the Red Sea, we have been set free from slavery to sin. We no longer have to listen to those voices that tell us what to do. We can instead listen to Christ and follow him instead. Also, uh, it's not just for the person being baptized, right? Baptism is a gift to the whole church. Uh, that we get to see this. So much of what we do is didactic, right? Me standing up here, opening up the thing and telling you what it says and why you should care about this, right? It's so beautiful to see the drama acted out. It's another way to experience this reality and to see it. It's a gift to the whole church uh, to be reminded, right, that it's a, by grace and grace alone, that we're to be reminded of our salvation, to be reminded of our baptism, to be uh, reminded uh, of Christ's death and resurrection, and its entrance into the church. It is a, and there are exceptions, yes, I don't, I'm not talking about that right now, but, uh, but for the most part, the primary way that, that we think of entrance in the church, it is through baptism and joining together, and so that's what we get to celebrate today. The other thing about baptism that's super important is this, just this demonstration of faith, right? What we're dying to is dying to our way, dying to listen to any other way but Jesus and uniting us to his way so that we can have something better that we could have never accomplished on our own. It's, it's faith because it's admitting our helplessness. Baptism is an admission of helplessness. I cannot do this on my own. I must be united to someone else who can. So baptism is this declaration of uh, helplessness and trusting in God to bring us through the chaos. I'll read this quote to you. This guy named James uh, Dunn said this. 
First Peter 3.21 is the nearest approach to a definition of baptism in the New Testament. Um, what is baptism? Baptism is a symbolic expression of the heart's appeal to God. Baptism is calling on God. It is a way of saying to God with our whole body, I trust you to take me into Christ like Noah was taken into the ark and to make Jesus the substitute for my sins to bring me through these waters of death and judgment into new and everlasting life through through the resurrection of Jesus my Lord. This is what we celebrate. This is what we observe. This is the gift. Now, I, I believe that you only need to be baptized one time. I grew up in a tradition where, uh, you know, six, seven people got baptized after every single youth event. Um, and, you know, every year, you go through like seven or eight of them, right? You know, uh, and it's fine, right? It's fine. I'm, not, I'm not mad about it, but I'm saying like, I think that, that, that there's this one baptism and, and uh, when you go through this baptism, uh, then your life is this series of of repenting and confessing, right? Uh, I don't know that we have to be baptized multiple times. Except for this. There is a way of thinking about the Christian life as daily baptisms. Uh, Here's what I mean. Um, Jesus said in Luke 9, uh, he said to them, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever will lose, uh, loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? There's a sense that every day as Christians, what we're doing is passing through a death to ourself to something better in Christ. And there's a sense that every day that I look at my life and go, well, this is what I can have. This is what I should do. If I could have enough money, I could control this. I could hang on to this. Or if I just trusted this, what, whatever it is I could have for me, if I had to begin to trust those things and attempt to hold on to those things, uh, every day I find myself in need of dying to that. Dying to the elevation of myself. Dying to the need to protect and hold. Dying to the need to control. Dying to all of these things over and over and over again. Just these promises of those lies of elevating myself to manage the chaos. And in a sense, there's a, I, I die every day to that. I set aside the part of me that could have it, the part of me that doesn't want to forgive. You know that part? Ugh. The, the part of me that, 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 that doesn't want to love. You know, you know that part? And dying to that so that I am united to him in something better. The gospel moves forward in our hearts, not in spite of patterns of death, death and resurrection, but through them. Us dying to things so that something better grows in its place. Me dying to, to my need to be recognized so that Christ is recognized in my life. Me dying to my need to control so that I trust that he is in control no matter what happens. There's patterns of death and resurrection in our life. They're just little, it's, our baptism represents that for the rest of our life. Us living these things out. And us reminding ourselves today and then every single day through these patterns that the Christian life is this life of freedom in Christ. That there is this snake, right, that whispers in our ear that there's a better way than God's. The voice in our head that tempts us to trust and control our own way. The many, many masters of this world that try to convince us if we would just trust them, they would help us through, and we end up enslaved to them. And their baptism is a reminder that we have died to all of that, and we have freedom to follow Christ through the chaos. 
that those other things can't help us, that only he can, that he leads us not just daily, but daily on into eternity. This is what we believe. This is what we confess. This is what we celebrate today, that he entered the waters of chaos and death for us and made a way for us through them. This is the thing that we celebrate. This is the thing that we rehearse. This is the thing that we believe. This is the thing that we know to be true. So we'll celebrate. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your goodness to us in salvation. And the reminder and the model and the teaching that we see in baptism that you have made a way for us, that you have made it possible for us to have the life we were intended to have, that life that we're trying to grab uh, on our own in so many different ways, you've made available to us by our union with Christ through faith. So tonight, we will celebrate. This morning, we will celebrate your goodness of adding to our to our body, adding to us those that love you. Give us strength and courage to continue to proclaim this, to teach this, to live this generation after generation after generation so that the next generation will have hope, so that they will see the hope that we have in Jesus and your goodness to us. That when we follow you through, when we let go and trust to follow you through, the chaos that you have made away and we unite ourselves to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.